Welcome to Book Banter with me, your host, Diane Burkhart. I hope you will join me every Wednesday as we explore all things to do with, well, <laughs> books. Let's get on with our show today. Hello, my happy people. Today is August 10th, 2022. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have special guest Lisa Silloway, the social media professor, coming on in just a moment. But before we bring her out, I want to explain just a little bit one of the things that I do in these podcast interviews. I always have somebody that I've been friends with who comes on to do the interview to start out the interview by explaining how we know each other. Part of the reason for doing this is because you get a glimpse of my background and my expertise and why I am qualified to be doing a podcast and to be writing books, but it's done in a more incremental and more interesting way, other than me just sitting here and giving a list of the things that I've done and my education and experience. Plus, I think it's fun to illustrate how I came to know these fascinating people that I'm getting to come on to my podcast. It tells you where you can go to meet people like this. Some of them, I went to college with them. Some of them, I worked with them. Some of them, I just met in the bookstore where I used to work. So that's part of the reason why I wanted to share why I always have these people start out explaining how we know each other, because it gives you more information about me and my credentials And it shows you where you can meet people like this. And I think that's helpful. But now we're going to get on with the interview. And I will remember this time at the end of the show to read this week's writing prompt challenge prompt. You can find all of the prompts on our website. Go onto the podcast page, which is just burkhartbooks.com slash podcast. I made it easy. (laughs) And there is a link to get to the page that has all of the writing prompt prompts. (laughs) You can write your story according to any of the prompts that are on that list. Send it in. We'll pick some to read on the air. And every once in a while, we'll pick one to give a prize. And I'm thinking more than likely just to make it easy, it would be like an Amazon gift card or maybe a gift card to a big chain bookstore, something like that. But for now, let's welcome Lisa Silloway, the social media professor to the show. The first thing that I usually do, since most of my interviewees are friends of mine, I just ask you to explain to our listeners how we know each other. Well, it's a college story, but not your typical college story where you're partying it up. (laughs) Um, Actually, we wound up meeting while we were working for the student paper. And the funny thing is, um, those of you who listen to her all the time, she wasn't one of our writers. I know, it's kind of crazy. She was actually the advertising manager and would frequently get on my nerves because she would make so much money that I had so many pages to fill that I couldn't fill the darn pages. (laughs) (laughs) I I still, I was thinking about this the other day, actually. I think our largest paper was like 36 pages. It was, and it was painful, and we almost filled it. I did have one, I think it was the back page, and I, I, I don't remember this. We put something along the line of, see this blank page? <laughs> we need you, <laughs> or the sunflower needs writers. <laughs> and 
um, so we got some applications, but I just decided to come clean and say, hey, we're making we're making a lot of progress. We're making a lot of money. We're doing great. Come right for us. <laughs> now, we didn't just work at the Sunflower together, though. We've you actually know, worked like three places together. I think you're right. We did. Because I actually worked for you at Feist. Oh, that's right. Because you hired me to write entertainment articles. I did like movie reviews for you. You are actually the reason why I got to see Gods and Monsters, still one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, cool. Yeah, I love that one too. I didn't remember that. Yeah. That was a blur. Then um, we worked. Right out of college. <laughs> we worked at the news service together too, World Pages. Mm-hmm. Did you write horoscopes with me and Sharon? Yes, because <laughs> I actually, I had written horoscopes at the Sunflower, so I had oh, experience. Right. <laughs> so yes, you just ruined for all of your listeners, anyone who looks at horoscopes, because they're all fake. <laughs> they're all idiots like us, writers <laughs> just trying to be creative and have fun. <laughs> well, and we did have a disclaimer on the bottom of ours that always said that these were just for entertainment purposes. We we let people know that we did not try to actually do a good job at it. It was just for fun. That was a good job. I liked that one. Yeah, that was fun. We got to do fun. the radio portion. We got to do the writing portion. We got to watch soap operas and get paid for it. <laughs> I remember my favorite thing was doing the joke of the day. I got more fan oh. mail because of doing joke of the day than anything else. <laughs> Somehow I got stuck doing a lot of very serious things. And I learned very quickly that I needed to have an NPR voice. <laughs> so I developed a, this is Lisa with your science report. <laughs> <laughs> Because of that broadcasting job, I still remember how to say Slobodan Milosevic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that that kind of dates it for some people. Though. If they remember when he was in the news a lot, that's when I was doing the news. <laughs> I can't remember. Were you there on 9-11 still? Because I'd been, I'd moved over to the university at that point. No, I was not still there. I left before you did. Oh, that's right. You did. Yeah. Because I actually, I went back that's to college before to get my degree in forensic criminology because I had done, I was doing the the hard news stories there as well. So it was like every hour on the hour I was doing the hard news. And it was so depressing talking about murder and war and, you know, people, you know, companies destroying the environment that I decided that if I was going to have to deal with that kind of thing for a job all the time anyway, I would rather have a job where I could do something about it instead of just sit in a little booth and talk about it. So I went back to school to get a degree in forensic criminology to work with the crime scene unit to actually do something about that stuff. I can understand that. I kind of did the same thing a little bit when I went to the university. I started off on staff after I left there. After a little bit, realized that I kind of wanted to to teach. That's when I went back to school. I got my master's. Not that I'm using it today, but (laughs) it's there. (laughs) Well, you always use that kind of thing somehow. Mm-hmm. Well, all the psychology that I learned, um, I have a master's of science, and it's a long one, instructional design and online learning. We learned all the, the psychology behind how people use the internet, and use the, they use portals and chat rooms and discussion boards, and I think that extrapolates down into social media, too. Oh, definitely. And so I, I have used it. Um, I'm just not 
teaching it <laughs> at the moment. What were you teaching again at the university? At Friends, I started off as the webmaster. And then later, after I got my master's, I did some instructional design on uh, graduate level classes. And they were actually all on human resource management. But I didn't have to be a subject matter expert in it. I just needed to be able to break the syllabus and all the information down and, and you know, present it for the students properly. And at uh, Newman University, I taught just kind of the basic classes. It was a maternity cover for one year. Taught people how to use Excel and Word and hard code a bold into a sentence if they needed to on a website. <laughs> but where I taught the longest time was over at Cowley College. It's a small community college in uh, southern Kansas. And I loved it. I was there for 10 years. I started off teaching e-commerce, marketing, customer service, kind of those businessy things. And then one day they were a little desperate and said, we have to have one more person teaching English. How many credits do you have in English and writing classes? And they squeaked me in. And then uh, I taught mostly English for the last five years that I was there. Oh, wow. I didn't realize you taught English that long. I was at Cali for 10 years. It was fun, but I uh, prefer teaching online. But most of my English classes were in the classroom. So what made you decide to move from teaching to starting your own business? An accident. <laughs> <laughs> One of our friends, Michelle Suttoth, you worked with her a little bit at Feist as well. She's brought me on to a couple of different jobs and we work really well together. Well, she and her husband took a risk and bought a restaurant. So I quit um, teaching. I kind of was ready for a break and went to work for her restaurant, helped her out, started doing marketing for her. Later on, she was forced to sell the place. They had some family members that were ill and needed some care from them. So I left about the same time and started my own little marketing business because that was when I really started realizing how powerful social media could be. Just one little promotion or one online push could, you know, and this was back in 2014 to, to 2018, we could bring in a thousand new followers with one giveaway and we're just a small hole in the wall restaurant. So that's kind of, I kind of fell into it, kind of like I fell into teaching. I just got a call one day saying, hey, we need help. And I taught for 10 years. So now I'm, I guess I started doing the social media marketing in about 2014, 2015, along with her. So I'm going on, what, seven years now? So what was the biggest challenge for you when you started out? Oh, consistency. <laughs> Pretty sure I'm one of those people that has that undiagnosed ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, back in 2014, even, it was tough to schedule stuff. There were a couple of programs, they weren't really reliable, and you had to go to one for Twitter and one for Facebook, and Instagram was not huge as it is now, and they have always thrown up barriers to uh, scheduling. Oh, yeah. Um, they, I think they wanted a little more organic, they wanted a little more authentic, and and just like TikTok does. And so I, that was the biggest thing is I could not sit down back then and just, I could plan out the month. I could get all my content ready. I could get all my images ready, but I could not always, you know, sit down and say, okay, 
these three clients, I'm just going to blow through everything and have everything scheduled for the rest of the, the month. You just couldn't get away with it. Yeah, I still have trouble with that. The only thing that I can ever really get set for a good schedule is Twitter mm-hmm. on Twitter. Yeah. And then with the development of the meta thing on Facebook where they do Instagram and you can do your groups and things all in one place, mm-hmm. that has been helpful. Yeah, I do like that. I use the program half the time. It's called Zweet, Z-U-I-T-T-E. Not an ad, not paying me. I pay them all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But they pretty much have everything. They connect LinkedIn and um, there's a couple others. WhatsApp. I don't have it pulled open right now. Yeah, pretty much everything but TikTok and Instagram. And then you have to purchase some extra stuff to get that connected and and I'm sure it just has to do with their their desire for you to post more organically and less rigidly. But yeah, I'm, half the time I'm using Zweet, and uh, it's been really reliable for me. But I don't. I only use it for a handful of my clients that are what I try smaller. Smaller. <laughs> you know, I've got the clients that are paying the thousand dollars a month, and I buy the high powered <laughs> um, platform that does everything. I do invest for the bigger clients. I do, but I try and keep my costs really low for the small guys that just need help. Yeah. And I'd rather have, you know, a little stable of, you know, 10 or 12 little guys that really need the help and just kind of keep keep everything as cost-effective for them as possible. And, and I've had really good luck with them. What do you consider to be, like, your best practices when starting up social media for a new client? Probably a combination of three things. One is that as a writer, it's really easy for me to dig in and understand, you know, keywords, SEO, hashtag development, whereas other people might freak out because they've got a set of 10 keywords that they need to start rotating through and make sure that that's spread out through their content. That's just a fun little challenge for me as a writer. So I can tell you that I will happily admit I have no clue when it comes to SEO and meta tags and which hashtags I should use. I use the same tags basically every podcast, every blog that I do. And I just hope that something's getting hit right somewhere and things are being found <laughs> online. But I I am hopeless. I mean, totally and completely hopeless when it comes to that stuff. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I kind of have a three-step thing for hashtags. Number one, girl, they let you have 40 or 30, 30 of them on Instagram and however many they let you have on TikTok. And whatever their current limit is use them all i know you always see these little tiktokers these little instagrammers saying oh just use three in your niche no 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 no. they gave you 30 use all 30 oh wow (laughs) i have no shame in that because i look at it as i'm putting my information in front of everybody that follows each of those hashtags so like i like guinea pigs so i have several guinea pig hashtags i know i'm weird several guinea pig hashtags that i follow on instagram because i'm interested in guinea pig rescue i'm hoping to do that when i'm 
like retired. So I, that, I follow several different hashtags. Well, if I'm in London and I can say London food or London events or um, what's going on at, you know, Kensington events, whatever it is, I'm getting in front of all those people. I might not officially be, you know, what they want to see, but I am putting myself in, in front of a new group of people, not just my niche. Okay. So I just, I kind of just feel like it's, it's just worth saying, here's the people that I think might be interested beyond my, who I am and where I'm at and just going for it. One thing, you know, I'm here in Wichita, Kansas, every freaking post for Wichita gets Wichita foodies, Wichita some and Wichita life ICT because those are the top three hashtags in our city. I put Wichita foodies on my, um, power washer company that I work for every single post. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, you know, they have a popular hashtag, so I'm going to piggyback on it. Yeah, so yeah, which ICT is fantastic. It's not inappropriate. I wouldn't piggyback on Roe v. Wade. I wouldn't piggyback on, you know, uh, the name of uh, somebody that's been murdered or is missing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if White Castle is trending because... <laughs> They're thinking about bringing their restaurant back. I'm going to piggyback on that. Yeah. So what do you think the biggest mistakes are that people make when they're trying to do their social media? Because I have a feeling I probably unknowingly do a lot of them. Probably not adding value. And what do you mean by that? Value doesn't mean you have to give them a piece of brilliance adding value can just be entertaining you I want everybody to go out and check out and she's a little offensive sometimes so if you've got a weak constitution don't but everybody else <laughs> go out to tiktok and look up the queen of getting banned as in like kicked off banned the queen of getting banned her name's christy howard i believe and she's like 26. She's got anxiety so bad she can barely get out of the house. And this woman has made a career out of putting makeup on and not going anywhere, sitting on her sofa and eating tacos <laughs> that she dips in ranch dressing. But the value that she adds is she talks openly about her sister's overdose and death, mm -hmm. that she talks openly about her anxiety and her depression, and she's entertaining and fun. So you can add value without trying to make a sale or add value without parting any beautiful chunk of wisdom. It can just be, hey, sit with me and let's have some lunch. I'm going to eat this taco. And what are you guys doing today? Even though we can't answer her. Mm -hmm. We all flock to her. She's got millions of followers. Well, you know, that's so, one uh, of the things that I've, I've kind of wondered about because I've had people talk to me and say, why do you always mention the fact that you've had brain surgeries and that you're brain damaged? I'm like, because this is me. It is yeah. who I am. It is a part of every minute of every day of my life. And I have so many challenges, especially with like language, being able to remember <laughs> words. And I want people to know that you can yeah. have these kinds of problems and still be a contributing member to society in a fun and entertaining way. Exactly. 
and you don't know who is going to hear that that needed to hear it. Yeah. You know, I'm really open with everybody about the fact that I have dyscalculia. And if some of your listeners don't know what it is, it's different than dyslexia, but kind of the same. It's for math. But you really can't learn to, you can learn to read with dyslexia. You really can't learn to do math with dyscalculia. Really? <laughs> you flip numbers. You, it's just, it, it's a really different take on things the way I, I like to describe it is when I look at an equation that's more than you know adding a tip onto a meal or um you know balancing my checkbook it's I can, can't tell you what I just read mm-hmm. it's like when you run across a foreign language in a book and your eye just kind of skims over it oh wow that's dyscalculia and I can't tell you how many people because I'll mention it uh, I mentioned it to the students I tutor I mention it on my social media and I can't tell you how many people have said, what do you mean this is a thing? I thought it was broken. And I'll, you know, I'll send them to a doctor or give them some information so they can talk to their doctor. A lot of people don't know. I never heard so, of that disorder. Weirdest little thing, but, you know, I almost died from uh, spinal meningitis when I was five. And that's what I was left with. So I'm not complaining. A lot of the people who actually listen to my podcast and follow along with all of my social media they are also indie authors. What do you think would be the best practice for indie authors to do with their social media? Because one of the biggest problems that they have is being an unknown author and having to start out with no followers. Yeah, it's tough. And this is going to be completely opposite of what every expert will tell you. Because every expert will say, don't get on a follow train. Don't go out and join a thing where everybody follows each other. I did that when I started as a playwright. I went on to Twitter because I really didn't use Twitter. I'm still not a Twitter fan. But I was surfing around on Twitter. I found another playwright, and she was hosting a playwright lift day. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't published anything. I really hadn't had anything performed yet. But I'm like, oh, my gosh. If we're all following each other and we're trying to lift each other, that could be built in 34 people that I can follow that are in the same boat as I am. And I wound up with a thousand people that day. Oh, wow. <laughs> following me. And I was following all of them. And suddenly I went from just following a couple of Star Trek accounts, <laughs> I admit it, um, to <laughs> suddenly having this place where I could go and have conversations with other playwrights and find out about contests and find out about what theaters were friendly to me. And it worked. Now, I wasn't looking for sales at that point. Mm-hmm. Really wasn't hitting the publishing world hard. I really still haven't. I'm still just kind of doing it for fun. But yeah, a follow train. This, there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I've done it for um, some of my clients, too. One of my clients is a national beef jerky and turkey jerky and elk jerky and all that good stuff. All the stuff you can't eat. <laughs> um, but they didn't have hardly any followers. So I found a couple of foodie follow things Mm -hmm. and hunters and preppers. Preppers love to buy like a five pound bag of jerky because it it keeps for up to a year and it it cooks up nicely. Don't get me started on the turkey jerky. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I was like, you know, it worked for me. Let's, let's go and play. We gained a ton of followers and most of them are still there because I 
interact with them and I, I engage with them. So I think that's something that, that everybody can go out and do. Start it and then say, who are my people and go find them. If there's a follow train, follow them. You might find somebody you can make friends with. You might find ideas. I really don't have a problem with it. And, and you know, the other thing is just post, 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 post. Right now, TikTok wants you to do <laughs> 8 to 12 posts a day. Oh, my gosh. Which I don't even think some of the big guys do that. Most people do one or two a day. Instagram, they want you to do at least four to six a day. And Facebook wants you to just be interactive. You know, even if you're just talking to people and replying to them, they just they just want that interaction and they just want your eyeballs on their, their app. But everybody wants a lot of content out of you. And if you can do one a day, do one a day, just be consistent and just get out there. And you know what? I tell people this because I'm 50 and I'm chubby and I don't like wearing makeup. So I use a filter. Use a filter. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. If you feel more comfortable throwing a filter on and making your skin look flawless, go for it. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. Especially if you're honest about it and you just have fun with it. Okay, I think we're going to go ahead and stop today's portion of the interview here. This one is only going to be a two-parter, so be sure to catch the end of this interview with Lisa Silloway, the social media professor, next Wednesday. And right now, believe it or not, I remembered to do the writing prompt challenge prompt for this week. So here we go. Our writing prompt for August 10th. It's the hottest day so far this summer. You are out at a local outdoor market enjoying live music and all of the food trucks. However, the heat starts to get to you, and you realize you have spent all your cash and have no money to buy water. You decide to head back toward the subway to go home, but you start to feel a little lightheaded and stagger, losing your balance, but someone catches you before you fall. When you look up, you cannot believe who you're looking at. (laughs) I hope you all have fun with this challenge. This one actually comes because my husband and I decided to go to an open air market last Sunday and I got heat exhaustion because I really just wasn't paying attention. But it did give me a good writing prompt for you, so it was worth it. I hope you enjoyed today's portion of the interview with Lisa Silloway, the social media professor. Don't forget, you can also check out Lisa's social media in the links below on the podcast description for the episode. And she is also for hire. If you have social media issues and you don't want to take care of them yourself, get in contact with the social media professor and she can help you out. Have a great Wednesday, everyone. Now, don't forget, it's that time to go forth and be happy.